listening to the Moving Project. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second episode of the Moving Project. My name is Sonia, and I will be co-hosting today with my friends Gina and Rasha. And for the second episode of this first season, we're going to interview the brain behind the Moving Project, aka Mikael Charette. And now that we've been able to understand better what was the goal of this podcast, it only seems natural to understand who is the person behind it. So Maître Charette, all of us here are law students, or obviously you're a lawyer, and we all have our reasons, but I'm curious to know what inspired you to become a lawyer? That's that's a really good question. Thank you so much. Um, And I'm a proud lawyer. If you look at my Instagram, I have this as a title. I, I wanted to be a lawyer since I was 11 years old. Back in the days, I think the movie were influencing me. I think it's Tom Cruise that did one or two movies about lawyers. And I was like, oh, this is such a cool profession. And, and, and then it's evolved where I want to do politics when I was a teenager. And, and I thought, you know, it was a big aspect of, of the political life. Um, a lot of politicians were lawyers by training. And I thought it was a profession that would make me a better citizen as well. So those are all aspects that, drives me to become a law student. And when I started my my law studies, I realized that learning law was giving us the opportunities to to do all kinds of of, of work. And now I become more of an entrepreneur, but remaining a lawyer and maintaining a law practice that help people to move around. So I'm using the legal tools that I learned in school in order to achieve other type of entrepreneurship venture. That's very nice. And actually, I have a question for you. All of us are involved in some kind of way in student politics. Were you involved in that kind of stuff when you were in law school? Yeah, thank you for asking that question as well, Sonia. I, I, I found it very interesting when I saw your, your resume because you're the president of the student associations. And, and this is something I done during my third year of law school. I was also the president of the student association and that experience of being able to represent the students of photo faculty remains a really good experience for me. And it was, it was a striving years, that third years of law school at Photo, And I have amazing souvenirs about this. So when I saw that on your resume, I knew a little bit what you would go through during the year. And I think it's something we, we share in common. 20 years apart. It is indeed. Uh, honestly, it's a blessing to work with someone who knows exactly what the job is about and how much work it is. And I wanted to ask you, we're all of us are in civil law. And what's interesting here in Ottawa is that we were able to do our Juris Doctor in one year, contrarily to three years. And I know that you did your Juris Doctor in Victoria. And according to you, what are the advantages of having studied both common law and civil law? I believe, and this is something that the dean at the time, Mr. Perret, was cherishing so much. And he did so much research about this duality between the common law and the civil law systems around the world. It covers such a big and general of the full world legal systems. And by learning both at the same time in an environment that understands those two systems, I believe prepare very well the lawyers that graduate from photo with the right mindset. And as you said, I didn't take advantage of the national programs in Ottawa because I needed to get out of Ottawa and I'm from there. It's my hometown. I grew up in Get Snow and I, I did my entire education there. And for me, that was the only world. And then when I reached the end of law school, I understood there was a world out there. And it, it took me a little longer than the, the average students to realize that. And then, and then I was ready to fly a bit to new borders. But um, that's why I went to Victoria. And Victoria was a great experience as well in terms of learning common law. One of what I call one of the most socialist um, law schools in Canada. But knowing civil law, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more in common law, is very interesting, especially that I practiced for so many years in China, where it's a jurisdiction that is civil law by origin, 
but went through all the other jurisdictions in order to codify their new legislation guidelines and society and everything. So it takes the best out, out of everything. And it's allowed me to understand those, those more traditional way of looking at the law. So it's a very complete globalized way to look at, at the world system. I think it's very interesting the fact that in Canada, for those the listeners who don't know in Canada, we have two juridical systems. We have civil law and common law and most of the world actually follows both one of these traditions. So most Canadian lawyers, when they're able to study both of the juridical systems, they actually become one of the most complete jurists in the world. And that's amazing. Yeah. And I would add as well, like you have headhunter going to Montreal to recruit lawyers there because Quebec province integrate the two systems right in the middle of the way that the systems is built. We know that there's a duality because of our constitutions, because of the legal systems, so it's create some very complete lawyers for London, for example, where the law firms are looking for those skills because they have the European systems and the English systems right there in their backyard. And with the Brexit, this will then become even more an interesting aspect of the Canadian grads rates that will have capacity to influence in those jurisdictions as well. So Canada is producing high quality lawyers for that reason. Ottawa, you produce very high quality lawyers because of that for many years now. I wanted to know, how did you choose the immigration law? For myself, I'm very interested in immigration law, but I'm still unsure if in the future, this is what I actually want to do. So how did you choose this? Thank you, Rasha. That's that's a good question coming from you, because I know that you have an immigration background as well. You, you practice as an assistant in an immigration firm, and you, you have the aspect of the day-to-day processing and now you wanted to upgrade it to a legal, more complete background of how things are done. I always say that I didn't choose immigration. Immigration chose me. And this is a practice that 20 years ago was not that popular. It's always existed. Don't get me wrong. But it was not a popular. It was a little bit of the, the sideline, the, the non-well-recognized practice compared to corporate law, for example. But in 2021, and I had this journey where immigration world have changed a lot over the years and it became a lot more popular but I must admit it took me years to accept myself as an immigration lawyer if you ask me I wanted to be like a a business lawyer or a corporate lawyer and and that was more fashionable but nowadays there's so much importance in society for immigrations especially in Canada because we need more people so at the beginning, I kind of fall into it. I was doing my master's degree. I started my career in a big law firm and as a corporate lawyer, as I just explained. And then like many students, I run out of money. And then I got hired by a local law firm that gave me an opportunity to practice because there was, there was the Quebec investor programs industry here in Hong Kong and in China. And I started to practice in this and I discovered a new world where I was allowed to meet successful millionaires from China at the beginning of the 2000 years. And I was, my role was more or less to interview them to understand their source of fun. And I was a very bold, young practitioner. And then I, I saw this as an opportunity to ask them whatever questions. And they had to answer me because they, I was there to prepare them to explain their source of fun. So I meet all those millionaires that build the China that we see today. And I was having discussions with them about the way they did business, the way that real estate market was going. So I was not only doing paperwork, like people sometimes see immigration, but I was giving the opportunity to meet 
those big investors, those big business people that are very successful. Through my work and learning the business world, the society in, in Asia, through those meetings with those family that wanted to move to Canada. And, and that was a great opportunity. So, and over the years, I become very involved in, as I said earlier, choosing the right candidate for the right programs. So my role is not only about filling paperwork, but it's going out there and being very proactive in finding who is the people that Canada wants and how can I find those people, right? We have very smart people in the Canadian IRCC, like the Canadian Immigration Ministry in Ottawa and in the different provinces that build some policies on what Canada economy needs, what Canada society needs, and how many we want. Every three years, the parliament in Canada actually approve a plan. We have a three years plan that we renew every three years that is adopted by the government, by the parliament, and says, this is what we need. And then I take these documents and I look at all the programs that are created and I go out there and I try to find those people and I find them very rewarding. So that's why I, I pursue this immigration practice. Thank you. It's very interesting because even when I first applied to this internship, I read a little bit about you and I saw that you were very much involved in all the Chinese business and entrepreneurship. And also even on our first meeting, you mentioned that you were a lover of traveling and I know that you also like to discover the world. So what was the last push for you to go to Asia and make business over there? China was on all the lips back in 2004 when I got here. It joined WTO three years before that, four years before that. And it was a growing, fast growing economy. And I was very curious about it. Um, as you said, I was a traveler. I remember even starting my articling for the, the law students out there. You know, you get recruited very young in Quebec to start working in law firms. It was my case. I started to work second year students for a law firm. But I made a, a commitment to myself that I would work three months per year and travel one month. And that's what I did. So even when I was studying, I was traveling. This was important for me to see the world. I never had this opportunity when I was younger. And when I get to my 20s, I, I want to discover the world. So I came to Asia to keep doing this. I wanted to maintain my student status, keep traveling the world. Asia was a new border for me, um, and I fall in love with it. And this is something that I, I maintain over the years. I'm a very globetrotter type of, of business person. Um, I've been to probably 80 countries by now where I try to go to those countries and those jurisdictions where applicants are. For example, right now, my focus is on Bangladesh, Vietnam, obviously China, just by the size of the country, of the amount of people, like you mentioned. It's, it's, and China has been so generous to me as well in terms of, of immigration pool of potential applicants. But there's new emerging economies. And because we do entrepreneur immigrations, I'm looking for those emerging economies with new money. Because the business applicants that will want to move to Canada to continue their business. It's people that are discovering emerging new money, creation of wealth, and they want to expand with their family, provide their family a fast forward opportunity to live a better life. So if you're in Bangladesh and you're a successful entrepreneur because you have a factory doing garments for the rest of the world, well, you want to be able to take your family and in, install them in Canada where they can have proper education, proper healthcare on a fast forward way. I love traveling for sure. And I think it's, it's, it's what makes me a better practitioner and capacity to understand different cultures. Great. Thank you for this. Just like you said, you practice in two continents, actually, um, both Asia and North America. So I've always been curious, like, 
What was the main difference between China and Canada? Yeah, thank you, Gina. This is really interesting questions because I've been asked that questions many times in my practice, in my meetings with clients. And we need to know a little bit more about my, my career where in Beijing for, for five or six years, I have a full-fledged license. So I was practicing laws in both directions. I was helping Quebec entrepreneurs to migrate to China, if you want. And it's important to say that I never practiced Chinese law right? You're not allowed as a Canadian or Quebec lawyer to practice Chinese law. I always practice Canadian and Quebec law. And my goal was to help people to go there. And I have practitioner here. I hired Chinese lawyer, Chinese graduate for, for the Chinese aspect of, of the law. But what I can say, though, I've been advising double culture business people. I've been doing business both in North America and in Asia. And what is more important, and that's what I tell my potential applicants that goes to do business in Canada and Quebec companies that come to do business in China. The two cultures are very different. The business toolbox is very different. And the only way to succeed is to understand that you need to acquire that screwdriver that it's not like yours. Like if you try to take a stark screwdrivers and do a, a flat screw, it won't work. And this is how it needs to approach the sets of values, the definition of trust, the definition of relationship are all different through the two culture. And you need to be able to, to get a, an understanding of what is what and how, how we can interact with those two. And that's part of my job as well, of my job as an immigration lawyer to bridge those toolbox and those cultural difference because you're helping people to go from one place of doing business and you tell them come do business in Canada and you're going to be successful. We need to be careful about that, right? It's huge. We tell people to take their family, move them to Canada, and we're going to welcome them and it's going to be successful. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. So it's part of my job and it's a continuous work. Like I'm not pretending by any means that I'm perfect at this, but I do put all the efforts that I have. I try to keep educating myself. I try to keep surrounding myself with the right business people that can welcome the immigrants and allow them to succeed in Canada. Because if they don't succeed, it's going to be a failure for their immigration project. Who will want to leave and go back to their country? And then the society, generally speaking, will lose. So one of, and one of the concrete way that I do this in my practice is that I created, for example, for Quebec, Institut Innovation Gatineau, business community in my, in my hometown. In 2016, we organized a, an incubator of business, and we got all the resources that allow the new immigrants that join our program as a new immigrants to interact with local business people, to interact with successful business people as mentor, and to create an environment and ecosystems that allow success, that allow those tools to be available right there for new immigrants to be able to do business. And that's what we need to provide, not only providing the roads, the bridge, but also the landing path that allow them to be successful in their business venture. But you know, it was a long answer, but I think it was a very necessary one because a lot of people, whether, you know, business people or not, they're very scared of leaving their countries and coming here. I think that's one of the most courageous things you can do to leave everything you know to come to a place you don't know. And I think I can speak to a lot of immigrants that have established themselves here. And I'm sure Rasha and Gina will agree with me, but it's so important to be surrounded by the right people when you come to Canada. Unfortunately, my parents weren't. 
And I know that if they had the chance to have someone like you with them, they would have definitely really appreciated. Obviously, now they're doing great, but I think that what you said was very important that the way you surround yourself is very important. And to have this kind of support, especially with you know, a professional like you and all the tools that you provide for them, is a great, like it's a great blessing for them. They would be very well surrounded. It was necessary for you to say that, I think. No, I I, I think it's a very important aspect of it. And I think you're the beautiful example of this. And I think what you're mentioning is also true for policymakers out there for people that design immigration programs. And something that I feel when I have conversation with policymakers in Ottawa, sometimes we don't consider enough the second generation. We can have all the tools and we can have all the goodwill in the world, but being an immigrant, it's a tough thing. It's something that you unroot yourself and you try to root it. And as a society, we need to know that second generation is the real goal of immigration and and we can do all the good work and i think we can do better at first landing immigrants but the real success is you guys it's the second generation that go through schools that grow up in the society that we want to build and canada is a beautiful multicultural integrated society when you look at the next 50 years and the way we want to see her society it's a diversified society like like you guys it's the globalized world in one sets of frontier. So this is this is very important what you're saying. And I think policymaker needs to keep that in mind when they're doing their policymaking. How can we foresee first landing immigrants with the success of their second generation? And I think Canada have been very successful in that sense as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you and Sonia. And the reason why the immigration law impressed me so much is because uh, my parents were immigrants and that's why I want to help other people coming to Canada and yeah it's really interesting and I hope someday I will be able to help them so as I was reading your bio I've noticed that uh, you're passionate about technology and development so uh, how are you able to explore your passion and your profession yeah no it's very interesting that you that you say that Rasha and I think I have a two two side to to my answer I would say so in my practice if I take the pure aspect of my practice I discovered a book from an Oxford professor back in 2015, which highlighted the fact that the profession of lawyers is limited in the world of AI, in the world of technology. The handcraft aspect of being a lawyer will disappear over time. There's a lot of actions. I will remember as a student, we were reviewing lease to find one clause to be able to transfer a company. So we were selling shopping malls, And we were viewing hundreds and hundreds of leads of all those little shops in order to find that transferable cost. Armies of lawyers, armies of law students were doing this. You give it to a computer and you can do it all. So some aspect of the profession just disappearing. In immigration, it's even more true. The Canadian government is working extremely hard. The last budget by the Trudeau government committed $500 million to improve the landing page of Canadian immigration system. So applicants can more easily go around the systems and apply online. This will affect professionals in many aspects of the professions. So that's the first aspect for my pure practice. So in 2016, I was like, okay, this is over. Like immigration work, immigration lawyers, or somehow a profession of the past. And if we want to move towards the future, is how do we digitalize part of my practice? So one of my entities is called Frontier Immigration, which is supporting this podcast. And this platform is all online. 
people can go on my website and fill up a forms and decide if they're qualified or not. I work with a company in Toronto that develop AI applications where people answer a few questions and they get a score on which program they can do. And we try to make this AI as performing precisely as possible so people can know right away if they qualify for immigration or not. Because there's so many programs out there. And Canada immigration program is a point-based system. So by definition, there's a calculation, an algorithm that can make it better, but it changed all the time. So it's a, it's a challenge to develop a company like that. And I'm working with some of my partners on that. The other aspect of my interest for technology is that Canada is trying to be ahead as a society. And what do you do if you want to be ahead? You choose industries that you want to improve in your society and you grow it. The startup visa program, which we'll discuss in one of the episodes of this podcast, was created exactly for this. So Minister Kenny, that is now prime minister in Alberta, was minister of immigration at the federal level at the time. And he came up with this program where he would go to San Francisco and, and Silicon Valley and, and recruit the best and the brightest in the U.S. and bring them to Canada. Complete failure. <laughs> Kenny back in the days was actually invest in highways, big board saying like, immigrate to Canada, we take you in Canada. And, and there was a mismatch between the two industries and, and it was a failure. But now, eight years later, there's many programs and we're going to go through the different of them that are trying to target specifically that kind of applicants, tech people. So in my practice, in my business setup ecosystems, I've been trying to have the tools to welcome more technology people, create more technology businesses in order to be with the right audience. So I go and I meet people in incubators in France. In, um, I'm having a relationship with Algeria, for example. I'm working with incubators in Vietnam where we can find the entrepreneur that are in the tech business. And if you want to talk to tech people, you need to understand a little bit this world. And I try to keep myself sharp in that side. I think it is extremely interesting. And I think it shows to the listeners that you know more than what five people know. Like crazy how, you know, you know so much about law, about the way the world works, about Asia. But now that we spoke about Michael Charette as the professional, it would be nice to see this little bubble, I'd say, out of your interest that appeared lately. And it seems that you have an art gallery now. Um, I work in collaboration with an art gallery that is based in Los Angeles. And being back in Shanghai is a project that I cherish. And I hope that soon I will be in a position to help artists to um, migrate to different jurisdictions as well in a certain way. And I have a lot bowling out there and thank you for mentioning it. It's all out of passions as well. Um, life is full of different aspects and, and art's been my passions. I've been collecting few few pieces over the years and I thought as a business person that it would be interesting to partner up with people that have a knowledge of this industry and, um, and will be trying to be trading arts as well. And, and there's more project coming up on, on the back burner as well in the tech technology of arts and, and different aspects of arts. And I see arts because I'm very involved in the entrepreneur field and the startups field. And I see emerging artists as small entrepreneurs. There's also program of immigration for artists. So it's allowed me to interconnect those different self-employed in Quebec, for example, could be a great program. And we could cover it in other seasons that helping emerging artists to come create their arts in Canada, for example, could be a stream of immigration. So there's different aspects to it that we can interconnect different worlds, but it started with passion. 
I'm, I'm a passionate guy. I like to pursue new, new frontier. And that's one of them. So actually, I know we spoke about it before we started recording, but I'm someone who was always loved arts. My mom, she paints. It gives me a lot of hope to see a lawyer who's still able to explore his artistic passion. So it's very nice, I think, to, to know that it's possible. And to finish, I'd like to know, so what's next for you? What's next for immigration? But most importantly, what's next for you? Well, immigration for me, it's the last frontier of globalized world. And I know coming out of the pandemic in 2021, we can rethink what I'm about to say. But I like to believe that we have a hip cup in, in, in terms of like globalization's bashing. This week, we will see President Xi and Biden meeting again. I think we're on the right path of of keeping peace in the world and, and keeping prosperity to grow. But immigration was always a little bit the frontier that was forgotten in the globalized world. We helped in the last 30 years, capital to flow more easily. The banking systems became more harmonized and, and money flows very easily in the world because of technology, because of the new world organizations that allow that. Goods we're moving a lot more easily, though we have a logistics crisis at the moment, but containers been moving around the world more freely. We seize it. Amazon of this world, the Alibaba of this world, uh, Taobao of this world in China, all allow it different goods to move more easily. Why can we go online on our phone and get the goods the day after? This is making the world a smaller place and, and, and a more flat for everyone, but the immigrations, the movement of people, what Europe achieved by creating the EU, the free movement of the workforce, the free movement of talents, this was never discussed. That was never discussed. And now we had just finished COP26 for climate change. And there's a risk for immigration in the climate crisis as well, right? So I think that we minimize the aspect of the movement of people. We minimize worldwide this, and this needs to become a subject that is more present. I'm very happy to see Canada society, generally speaking, talking more about immigration. You have an editorial about immigration every two weeks now. We didn't see that 15 years ago. So I think immigration will become a bigger subject in Canada because we need more people. I always say, if we looked only at Canada, that Canada haven't big, big problems in terms of growing their economy. We have everything we want, big land, natural resources, amazing education systems, one of the best science-based system in terms of education. But we lack people. If we want to keep growing, we lack people. And the only way that is sustainable, there's many ways to grow your population, but the only sustainable way is to fast track, open the gate, get more people, do it in an organized way like we do it, try to get the best out of what we can have because we have attractiveness. So why not get the best? But I see a very bright future for the immigration world. I think it's going to become a very popular field. We need all the resources that we can. Technology needs to be driving it. It needs to be faster. If I want to say something to policymakers, they need to make it more smooth. They need to make it faster. If you want to target a business person and it takes five years for them to land in Canada, disconnect. We have a problem. The world is moving faster. And I, that my biggest worries, if I should say, is that we don't move fast enough, but we have the capacity to move fast enough. If there's a climate crisis, migration issues, 
in one country. We need to be able to turn around as a country and say, we're going to take all those refugees of climate crisis. If there's a war somewhere, we need to be able to turn around and take all those migrants very quickly. And then at the same time, we need to be able to say, okay, we have a boost in, a boost in AI in Montreal. We need to be able to get all the best AI people around the world. We need to proactively look for talent because we're not the only one in Canada looking for talents. The Americans are doing it and we'll do it even more in the future. Europe is doing it. China is starting to do it. China is recalling from around the world their talents. They've been doing it for five years already. So China is becoming a migrant society trying to attract the best talents. So some of the best talents we got from China for a while are now returning to China because they believe that the opportunities are here. So we need to maintain this attractiveness. And if we lose it, it's very dangerous to not be able to recover it. So it's a constant work. And I, as I said earlier in the episode, I see myself as targeting for the right people. I see myself as this is part of my role. We need to have the ecosystem, the right bridge to move to Canada, a smooth technological bridge to move to Canada. And once it's there, we need to be able to have a platform and ecosystems that will land those business people the best way as possible and, and create ecosystem that um, generates success, creation of jobs, creation of wealth. This is what those entrepreneurs are dreaming about, the dream of a better world. So I always see myself as a dream seller. I goes around and I'm offering families and successful business people to come for a better life. And, and that's good in good economy and that's good in bad economies. And that's the beauty of the integration world in many ways. And on top of that, that's the Canadian focus on it. If we look at a more global way, I'm a strong believer in a global citizen. I think I'm the best example of a global citizen. I like to see myself as a person that can live three months in France, three months in Canada, five months in Shanghai, where I have access to different type of society. And I capable of having a more globalized lifestyle and more easy it's going to be for people to move around i think more prosper planet we will have that comes with different climate challenges because moving across the world is a big footprint in terms of climate impact but other than that i think we need to allow talents to move more freely and then we will have a more sustainable society across the globe and, and, and there will be more exchange of ideas and, and more exchange of capital. And, and that will create wealth for more people. And, and I think we can, the world can benefit from this. So ultimately, that would be my wish. But if we want to focus on Canada, because this is where we're from, and as long as we're frontiers, our present borders are presence, like then we need to facilitate for where we're from and help people to roots in society that we can grow. I think that's very beautifully said. And I most importantly, I think that as long as we have people like you that are willing to take the time to make a better world like that, but most importantly, to work for Canadian immigration, I think that definitely it is a goal. Like everything that you've explained is definitely possible and in hopes to see a world without frontiers one day, right? That's the objective, create more global citizens. Mm -hmm. I am so grateful, girls. Thank you so much. It's a project that I very cherish. I look forward to the next episodes that we'll create for the audience and, and giving access to more clear path that are available. Like we will try in the next episodes to create different bridges. And I'm very grateful of all the efforts that you're putting in this together with me. Thank you so much for being.
being part of this project. The Moving Project is something I cherish very much. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. And we'll see you next episode. And we'll talk about the economic perspective in, in Canada with Russia. So thank you, guys. Thank you.